0: Here we go, it's Bible hacking time. All right, what's up? This is Greg. Today, I'm gonna do a heavy one. I had to pull out the um, (laughs) Korean milk tea for this. I've actually been studying this topic for a very, very, very long time. It's been on my heart um, because of the pain and distress that I see it causing. We're gonna talk about the two satanic doctrines that we have allowed to infiltrate the church bible hacking let's get it So, two, and I actually call it the top two satanic teachings or doctrines that have infiltrated the church today. Um, And yes, I do say very specifically that it is top two, because there's probably 10 or 15. Like, I've I've literally been studying this for um, a couple of months now, like deep into the word and, you know, digging and trying to put stuff together. Hopefully this won't be too long of a, 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 a video, but we got to get through it because this is critical stuff. And we're going to highlight again the importance of recognizing um, false teachers. So um, why is this important? important. More than just verses taken out of context. And they're kind of frankly taken out of context wildly. Uh, and that's relevant. Like we're going to come to that at a later point in the story and in today's video and explain why that's important. Um, but I believe that I can biblically show that this is not just, oh, we took a verse out of context accidentally. I can show that these are strategic attacks specifically by the enemy of yahweh or the enemies of yahweh against his church that's what this is so let's dive into it again the why because false teaching is dangerous like we've seen lots and lots of uh, things around false teaching, and you know, I've used this before, the rise in false teaching, this is from 2 Peter 2.1, but there will also be false prophets among the people, as there will be false teachers among you often, who will bring in destructive heresies, and that's kind of one of the things I want to show you, that they are destructive, um, even denying the master who bought them, thus bringing on themselves swift destruction on the teachers but also they're destructive to the listener of the heresies. And many will follow their licentious ways because of whom the truth will be reviled, hated. And in greediness, they will exploit you with false words. This is why this is important because this thing, and this is Peter speaking right after, you know, the the death of Jesus. When I say right after, you know, in Peter's lifetime after the death of Jesus, false teachers were already a thing. I'm going to show you how today false teachers are arguably even more a thing. So that's one part. The next reason why is um, it is super, super important to, to recognize that people get hurt because of false teaching. There are, and I know this personally, like I've experienced this in my personal life. There are swaths of people who end up leaving the faith, leaving the church because of false teachings that they were exposed to. That is problematic. Our human response is often not to recognize, hmm, this teaching is false, so I'm gonna leave this teacher. What we often conflate is, this teaching is false, so I'm gonna throw the baby out with the bathwater and I'm done with this whole Christianity thing. That is why we, as the church, need to be so on alert for false teachers. It uh, False teaching allows us to set our expectations incorrectly. so our expectations are no longer set on biblical orthodoxy or biblical rules and biblical prescriptions, examples and templates that are clearly there. Our, our, our expectations become set to what XYZ teacher taught or what you know this what the culture is teaching over here and that leads to bad expectations which leads to hurt. So in oftentimes it becomes disguised under a guise of these teachings are more modern. You know, they're more progressive. Sometimes that's even a thing nowadays, progressive Christianity, but I'm not going to touch that for now. But the concept is there that, you know, we need to modernize the, the, the church a little bit. We need to modernize our, our you know, teaching methodology um, because, you know, the gospel evidently seems to need help. It doesn't. And because we've been flexible or lenient with what we accept and what we don't accept and because of the fake guise of unity we forget that Jesus said I come with a sword to divide like that was one of the things that Jesus came to do he wanted to divide the wheat from the chaff he wanted to divide the wrong from the right Like, he beefed with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, constantly because they were misrepresenting Yahweh's plan and Yahweh's law and Yahweh's principles. And Jesus did what? He didn't say, it's okay, for the sake of peace, we'll just be No, he went headfirst against it. Oftentimes, we are not willing to go headfirst against wrong doctrine. I'm going to try to do that here today. So... Um, we already t- spoke on second Peter. Let me give you something else from Peter, um, right here. Um, and here, um, this is another, this is from, this is from, uh, oops, did I go to the wrong place? Nope. Let me go back to second Peter here. Many will follow false words. Yeah. So this is the part I wanted to get to. And, um, so destructive heresy. So Peter's talking about false teachers. Many will follow their licentious ways. Greediness, they will exploit you. I need you to see the parallel that's being drawn here. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned and held them, held them captive in Tartarus, let's park there for a minute. What is Peter talking about? So, those who have studied the, the, the wording here, the phrasing, angels who sinned, that term comes straight, and I'll show you more proof of this in a minute, that term comes straight out of one Enoch. No I am not saying one Enoch is Canon. It is not Canon, but it doesn't need to be Canon. I'm saying Peter very obviously knew the content of one Peter. Uh, sorry of one Enoch, and he was engaging with it why? We spoke about communicative, c- communicative methods already. Peter was engaging with what he knew his audience would understand they read first Enoch. It was well read in the second temple era. So that's this period of time from about 200 BC to, you know, around now when Peter was there, 50, 60, 70 years, before 70 years um, after the birth of Christ. That's, so this is why he's engaging with it. And we'll see Paul do this in other places as well. Um, Furthermore, it says, for the angels who sinned. So we're talking here about the angels who left their heavenly estate, in Genesis 6, you know, 4-ish, somewhere around there, and um, came down to earth, and they they bonded with human women, and their offspring was evil. Their offspring was giants, and we won't get too deep into it, but Enoch goes very deep into that, and it talks about how um, that caused, or that accelerated the depravity of man. Um, so, That's what they're talking about. Also interested is, you can see, he held them captive in Tartarus. Tartarus is a very specific place in Greek mythology that Peter, again, understood. And it is where evil spirits that have um, gone against God are held in chains. This is not hell. This is a different place that's specific for those angels. If you read 1 Enoch, you see that that is where those the, the fallen angels that that came down and sinned that is where they were held captive so this is very clearly from you know a, a drawing on i should say first enoch so peter goes from false prophets to angels that sin to noah so he, he did not spare the ancient word preserved Noah, came of righteousness and in the, the 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 sequence of the old testament immediately after the angels who sinned and the giants and nephilim comes like literally the verse after comes noah and then he touches on sodom and gemara and he ties here sodom and gemara to the angels that sinned and to the flood of of, uh you know around noah what's the tie together there though if you remember the sodom and gemara tale in i believe it was genesis um, there is a key part of it where the people of sodom the men of sodom sought to have relations with the angels that were visiting Lot in Sodom. So you see a you see a parallel there already, right? <clears throat> angels coming down, sinning, and accelerating the depravity of man. And Enoch goes into this and explains how did they do that? By teaching them false doctrines, teaching them things they should not have had there, teaching man, things man should not have had his hands on. Enoch describes it as um, metallurgy, the making of weapons, the using of um, roots for pharmakia, for witchcraft and for hallucinogenic type stuff. That is what the angels came down and taught the humans in Enoch that caused earth or man to become exceedingly wicked. You see the parallel here? Angels coming down, teaching man things that harm man. Bad angels coming, the angels rebelling, coming down, teaching man things that harm man. Sodom and Gomorrah, men trying to connect with angels, same thing, that harms man. What did God have to do in both cases? In Sodom and Gomorrah, he wiped him out with, with fire. In um, the, the, the Noah period, he wiped them out, wiped, wiped out with water. Peter ties all of those together, saying, this is how dangerous false teachings are false teachings are lumped into the same bucket of what caused God to have to do a flood to clean off and and do a base reset. Let's take it to another level. This is Jude. Jude, um, we'll start at five, the condemnation of, and this is, I'm laying the groundwork here to try to show you the urgency, like we cannot just yeah. False teaching is bad. You know, we should just avoid it. It's okay. No, it is significantly more dangerous than that, especially when the false teaching is being disseminated or shared from within the church. That becomes super problematic. You got to my tea. So Jude, Now I want to remind you, although you know everything once and for all that Jesus having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, the second time destroyed those who did not believe, that's coming out of Egypt, and the angels who did not keep to their own domain, sounds familiar? It should, because Jude is also pulling on that one Enoch, the, the, they broke their realm, they broke the barrier and they did something, but deserted their proper dwelling place who he has kept in eternal bonds, not hell. That's a point to the exact same phrase again, Tartarus. That is where the angels who sinned were sent and held captive until um, the last days, under deep gloom for the judgment of of the great day, as we see here. What does Jude pull into it now immediately? As Sodom and Gomorrah and the terms around them indulge in sexual, sexual immorality, and pursued unnatural desire. See the same principle again? Condemnation of ungodly false teachers, (coughs) excuse me, being linked to the angels that came down, broke their heavenly domain, and sinned, being linked to Sodom and Gomorrah. Both cases caused utter destruction of the people involved with it. This is, so So Jude and Peter both are alluding to the extreme, they're not minimizing this. Like the first century Israelite that heard this and you tell them about Enoch and you draw that parallel. You tell them about Solomon and Gomorrah, they are not wondering, I wonder what that, they knew exactly. That's, oh my God, we got to be careful. This is utter destruction and that is why false teachers especially in the church or from within the church being spread throughout the church is so super dangerous. So what are the two top, and like I said, there are others, but I I, I did my study and I feel like these are the two that are most dangerous. What are the two top false satanic doctrines that have infiltrated the church? Number one called the law of attraction where do you say law of attraction that's not biblical that is you know some new agey type stuff and you'd be surprised there are some churches that overtly um you know refer to the law of attraction and overtly pro and law of attraction be- be- got popularized in it's not new it, you know i think it, it started around 1918 or somewhere thereabouts, um, but it got really popularized now with books like The Secret, um, you know, that was propagated heavily by Oprah, um, where it talks about, you know, this is how you do the law of attraction, and this is what it stands for. Now, those things, and I, we're not going to go deeper into the law of attraction, because like I said, I expect that most decent churches are going to avoid that. Churches like, and I'm sorry, but i got to call names, because if you are an please i beg you again don't allow this to tune you out if i say the name of something or a group or an organization that you like listen to um have been blessed by um, or genuinely blessed by i ask you to not take offense to it yet why a couple of basic reasons one our belief system is not based on feelings so it's not based on yeah but i felt so blessed and i felt so good our belief system has to be based on the text of the bible so if i can show you out of the bible and you i've already pulled up probably t- a ton of scriptures and i'm gonna pull up many more if i can show you clearly out of the bible that something is flawed Consider that a message from God, not from Greg, but from his word, saying, eh, you might need to revisit this. That's why this is important. So, as I was saying, you know, there are some church organizations like Bethel that's actually written books that are heavily indoctrinated. Like, they have one called, I think it's called the Physics of Heaven. And don't read the book, like, if you want to, go ahead, but... Be very strong in the spirit if you do. It is littered with new age parallels and trying to, you know, do new age things. And if you just even Google, you know, and do some uh, some good proper research on Bethel, you'll see their belief system is very much a false gospel. Like, not a little bit. Super, super false. They've done things like um, have the, a staff on their stage. They, they propagate things such as, uh, what do they call it, grave soaking. Where you lie on the grave of um, you know a, a Christian leader that died to try to like sleep on the actual grave to try to soak up some of his anoint like that's not biblical that is literally occult and this is propagated from churches like Bethel so you know in some cases it's overt in many cases it's not so you might not hear the law of attraction but what you will hear is word of faith. You may hear positive confession, you know, be careful what you say and how you say it. You may hear, or you have to decree and declare. Um, You may hear, you know, um, things like, um, and I'm going to show you one right now from Scripture. Here we go. Um, Boom. There you go. So here's one um, explicitly from Scripture where, um, you know, we've, we've been told this. Um, he who calls things that are not as though they are. And what the, and I'm going to leave that sit there so you can soak it in for a minute. What the, 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 the word of faith, positive confession, decree and declare um, 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 doctrine teaches is that that is what we should do. I've heard... Um, Joyce Myers, I believe was, was, was her name, um, say, we are like, I've been taught this. Like I went to a leading word of faith university and I heard this preached in chapel consistently. We, and I've repeated it and I've had to repent from that. We are little gods. God has instilled us with his characteristics (coughs) and God created the earth. Therefore we can also do creation things. We can also speak things as though they are. However, that verse that we're looking at right here, that's Romans 4.17, call the things that are not as though they are, um, we need to, again, and I've spoken about this in prior videos, go and look for that, I'll put the link in the bottom um, at the end of this video, where you can talk, where I've spoken about a good study methodology. One of the things you need to do with every verse you've read, and I listed out four questions, I'm not going to rehash that content here. One of the things you need to do is look at the context, like what is going on around, call the things that are not as though they are. Let's scroll up. Because of this, it is by faith in order that it may be according to grace, so that the promise may be secure to all of Abraham's descendants, not only those of the law, but those of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Just as is written. I have made you the father over many nations, before God, in whom Abraham believed. And that's key, we're gonna get back to that in a minute. The one who makes the dead alive and who calls the things that are not as though they are. Who does that? God and God alone calls things that are not as though they are. It is a dangerous theology to believe That we have the ability or right or power if we have enough faith and we believe hard enough and we say it in the right enough attitude to call things that are not as if they are or to decree and declare things. That is not our job. God does that. What we do is we believe in God. That is orthodoxy. That is the way the Bible prescribes it. And we've gotten so comfortable with this being taught as if it's something we can do that many of you are probably shaking your heads right now, going, no, that can't be like You got to declare, and you got to decree. But I'll ask you this. If we have the power to declare and decree and call things that are not as though they are, what do we need God for? Exactly. We don't need God anymore. And this falls into that same bucket of Making a a lowered standard or deflated opinion of God and inflating our opinion, and it is super duper duper dangerous. Let's look at faith a little bit more, because I mentioned word of faith, and word of faith falls into this category of the law of attraction, where you know we we can just have this this superpower of faith, where if you believe hard enough, you know you can get that miracle. And you can get that healing and, you know, Bethel, for example, yes, I'm picking on Bethel a bit, um, but there's others, Stephen Furtick has this from Elevation Church, has this same type of um, theology as well, and they are flawed. These are doctrines of demons. These are incorrect. I'm going to tie that and I'm going to prove that it's a doctrine of demons in the the second here, again, out of the word, but you you have these ideas that God always wants to heal and God Always wants to, you know, um, fix your problem. And God always wants to bless you. It's simply not true. There are many people throughout the, the the Bible that died, that were sick, and that 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 did not get healed. I've used as an example before. Pretty much all of the apostles. Some of them got sawn in half. Some of them were crucified. Um, some of them were in prison. Um, Paul didn't die happy. Like. That is the if if, if you 're going to pick anything as a template, that would be more the template than God always wants to heal like there are times when it is god 's will and he says hey i 'm going to heal you, but we need to have faith in God, not f- blind faith so let's let's let 's dive a little smidge deeper into that right quick so um here is a very interesting one that 's been um, misused to oblivion and truly I say to you, this is Matthew 21 and a couple of verses here. If you have the faith to do and do not doubt, sorry, you will do not only what was just done to the fig tree. So Jesus caused the fig tree to river away. But even if you say to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, if you believe you will receive I need you to to, to follow me super carefully here. This is where sometimes the English or our Christianese, like a word like faith, which outside of a Christian context might not mean much to you. It, it means whatever we believe it means because, you know, or whatever a teacher or a pastor has taught us. And we've all often been taught, you know, Hebrews 11, faith is the evidence of things not seen, substance of things. Hopefully so I probably flipped that around, but you get what I'm talking about. You know, faith is, you know, but I need you to understand something. At no point, you switch screens there. At no point in the Bible does the Bible prescribe blind faith. That is not a biblical thing. We are not supposed to have faith in whatever. I want that Lexus, my mom's gonna be healed, cancer's gonna be gone, and I'm having faith that cancer is gonna be gone. Like, that is not a biblical prescribed thing. You know how the Bible prescribes faith? I'm gonna show you right now. The Bible prescribes faith, and this is one example. Truly I say to you, if you have faith, and do not doubt, you will not only um, get what was done to the fig tree. But even if you say to this mountain, this word faith right here, like I said, it, it's obscured by English, but let's look at what it actually means. So I've done some research here and should I even maybe make this a smidge bigger? I do find It's a little small there. Can you read that? Let's go one level higher there, there. Faith, what is faith? Faith, the word in Greek is pistis and faith is linked to, and I want you to see the various terms here. Faithfulness, what can be believed, trust, loyalty, oath, confidence, proof. Are you following me? Let me give you some more. Um, pledge, are you following where I'm going with this faith is not simply believing blindly faith as a biblical tool or phrase or understanding is always tied to loyalty or a pledge or an oath. And it is who you're loyal to and not, not what, who you're loyal to is what empowers your faith. So I've actually gone a step further. And I've looked at everywhere in the Bible where faith is mentioned together with belief because we have the same faith in accordance with what is written. And I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. Um, knowing that a person is not justified but by faith in Jesus. And faith uh, as Abraham, and we spoke about Abraham already. Abraham in Genesis 12 had, was told, leave the country where you are and go where you need to go And Abraham had faith, not in some blood. He had faith in Yahweh who gave him the instruction. Um, um, Let no one look down on you in your youth, but as an example for believers in the word, uh, in conduct, in love, and in purity. So uh, what I want you to see here is faith is always tied to who you are loyal in. You don't have faith in, I'm going to get that car. You have faith in Yahweh. And Yahweh's will be done. And that is what I'm having faith for. If God chooses to do whatever, whoever, God is sovereign. He knows that is where my faith is. So this star Wars, the force type power, where we have some kind of weird power, where it's like, you know, we could close our eyes and reach out like baby Yoda and things will fly to us. Not scriptural at all. Maybe star Wars ish, but not scriptural, our faith from a Biblical perspective is always tied in who we have faith in, who we are loyal to, who we um, have an oath in, who is guaranteeing it, and I'm going to switch back again, who is guaranteeing it, loyalty, oath, trust, confidence, um, fidelity, that is the faith that the Bible prescribes. So. The, the concept of, of, of word of faith and decree, declare, et cetera, et cetera, super, superbly flawed. So I mentioned that this is, and all of this, this, all of this stuff we spoke about, decree, declare, we're little gods, etc. I mentioned, and I was pretty harsh, and I said, this is a doctrine of devils. Let me prove to you how I came up with that. We all know the fall. And now the serpent was more crafty than any other animal, which Yahweh God had made. And we go down the serpent tempts Eve with, for God knows that on the day you both eat from the fruit that God told you not to eat from, this is the lie that the serpent is telling Eve, then your eyes will be opened and you both will be like God's the first Rebellion was the enemy trying to convince us that if we break God's law, we could be just like God's. You hear a similarity there? We can decree and declare just like God. We can speak what is not as if it is just like God. This is a doctrine of devils. We are subservient to God. What God says and what God's will is, that's what will be done. We have faith and we have our faith in Yahweh, not in what our heart cries for. And that is why law of attraction, word of faith, positive confession, decree, declare we are little gods. That's why that being injected into the church, into our theology, into what you'll hear from a lot of pulpits is super duper duper dangerous and like i said i have personal experience with this what if you are told to pray super hard for something that's not god's will you know the amount of people that have left the faith because somebody told them if you pray hard enough and have faith enough believe it's going to be done it will happen and it never happened what happens to those people that have prayed that for three, four, five, six, seven, eight years, and it doesn't happen. Oftentimes they don't reject the person who gave them the bad teaching. They reject the God who they thought they were praying to, but they weren't praying to God. They were praying their hearts. They were praying what they wanted, not what God's will was. That's why that word of faith thing is so dangerous because it causes destruction of souls. That's what it causes. So promised. Um, we have two, so number two. And number two is what I have classified as mysticism. So mysticism is pretty huge in the Bible. Um, and it's like spoken against very, very, very clearly. And I'm gonna kinda try to run through this a little bit because um, there's a lot of content here. Um, Paul touched on mysticism a whole 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 lot and let me get a couple of these things pulled up and i'll show you where culturally this happens and then we're going to discuss how do we combat those two things and you know all of the teachings behind them i have the not the answer but i have you know some prescribed steps that we can do as well nonetheless mysticism um colossians 2. as a matter of fact the entire book of colossians is paul dealing with something that scholars called syncretism And what the Colossians were doing is they were mixing cultural things with orthodoxy, with theology. Like, this is what the Bible says to do. This is what the culture says to do. We'll blend up. We'll take a little of this and a little of that to make it more appealing. And therefore, we'll come up with, (coughs) inadvertently, but again I believe it's a trick of the enemy so it's not just something that happens to happen it, it's, it Paul saw it there and it's still happening today so it's it's pretty darn strategic. So Paul goes in on the Colossians and said no one condemn you taking pleasure in humility and the worship of angels because that's a big that was a big thing in Colossians in the, in Colossae they were worshipping angels. Paul said don't worship angels um going into details about the things which he has seen you know receiving from angels etc inflated without cause by his fleshly mind um and it it grows from the growth of god if you have died with christ to the elemental spirits see that the, the spiritual aspect there again of the world why would you submit to them as if um, living in the world, but do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. But these things were meant for destruction. So what the Colossians were doing, they were mixing the local customs and traditions. We shouldn't eat pork. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do this. And together with, you know, what 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 the, the gospel that was brought to them, and they were conflating the two of them so that the people who were there that were accustomed to those traditions could feel at home, while at the same time, they could try to blend in with, you know, the gospel that, that Paul and all the other evangelists and the apostles had brought to them. And Paul is saying, don't do that. It is dangerous. Go a little bit d- deeper into this. Um, so... That's, that's worship of angels. That's um, blending of culture with orthodoxy. But Paul goes even harder. Let's go here. Um, Paul, again, because remember I, I mentioned in the prior video um, that in the New Testament, there's a lot of talk about false teachers, etc. We're touching on a lot of that now. So Paul to the Galatians jumps like straight in. This is like the beginning of it. Galatians 1, this is verse 6. I am astonished that you are turning away so quickly from the one who called you by the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Not that there is a different gospel, except there are some who are disturbing you and wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. And so Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven would proclaim a gospel contrary to what we have proclaimed to you, let him be accursed. Even if an angel comes from heaven, if that angel says something different than the gospel that you know, let him be accursed. That is the standard that Paul is giving. So, here, the Galatians were doing the same thing. They were hearing, you know, from mystics, and they were, you know, resting and trying to. Oh, I'm going to, you know, elevate my mind, and I'm going to get a, going to get a brain dump, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So this is weird. you know, we don't do that nowadays, do we? Well, my dear friend, I beg to differ. I believe very firmly the reason we are seeing a lot of the heretical things running through the church, and now I'm talking to you Enneagram people. Well, not the people, but the Enneagram, <coughs> <coughs> excuse me, doctrine or whatever you want to call that. Which And if you don't know, Enneagram is running through churches rampant. It's the I'm a eight, I'm a four, I'm a this, I'm a six, I'm a seven, and you do what, what, what they describe as a personality test and it, it classifies your personality and then you... The problem with Enneagram, and I'm less concerned as to whether it's accurate or not. That's not my problem. My problem is where does the Enneagram stuff come from? Do very simple history on it. It's portrayed like it's psychology and it's, you know, we're gonna, you know, some set set of psychologists wrote it. That is not the truth. Like you can find online where it came from. Came from a guy that was a mystic who used to go to, I think it was South America or Central America, to, you know, lie on tombs and do all kind of goofy stuff to try to, you know, channel and have spirits talk to him. And he got this brain dump of, you know, a neogram via a spirit. Like, that is the history of it. But somehow, we're okay with that. Remember the false teachers? Peter, Jude, paralleling it to what? Angels coming down and giving this new knowledge remember galatians flip back to it right quick Um, even if an angel from heaven would proclaim a gospel to you paul was warning us about this in the first century after christ because god knew this would be a problem so enneagram came from this dude not a christian that got this brain dump and we accept it happily into the church. Probably some of you are saying, yeah, but it's okay. You know, Greg, you know, um, I'm, I don't believe in a meogram, and it's not its not rampant in my church. I'll probably say it's not rampant in your church yet. But you're fortunate. Thank God for that. Hopefully it never gets there. But let me give you another one. Same thing tied to this doctrine of devils and, and doctrine of, you know, given by an angel or whatever have you. In this period of time right now, 21st century, we actually have a Bible translation, it's called the Passion Translation, that does exactly this. And I'm sure like Version, the Bible app that I use um, on my phone for, you know, like if I'm just reading or something like that, not what I'm studying, Version has the Passion Translation in there. And it seems like, yes, yeah, mm, translation seems harmless enough. But I need you to understand something about the passion, a couple of things about the passion translation. And if you do a little research on like, where does it, and this is why, again, we have to study to show ourselves approved. If you do a little research on where does this passion translation come from? Passion translation comes from one gentleman. His name is Brian Simmons and Brian said publicly, and you'll find a ton of articles with his own mouth saying this, oh, I have not much knowledge or I don't don't have a great handle on the original languages that the Bible was written in. Um, I know a little bit of Aramaic, but most of the the texts are actually Greek and Hebrew. So, you know, I'm not that good in it. So where did he get the knowledge from to be able to do this translation that he basically did by himself? Brian proudly says, Jesus came down and gave him a brain dump of secret knowledge about hebrew which then he could apply to the text which allowed him the original documents which he can't read and doesn't understand because he doesn't have the training of it by his own um mouth and that is how he was allowed to translate it because he got a brain dump from heaven through jesus at one point it was even said um you know that again you could find this online very readily um he went to the libraries of heaven and jesus showed him an additional chapter, John chapter 22, which is not in canon, doesn't exist right now, and it's not in the Passion Translation yet, but Brian goes on the record as saying this is something that Jesus showed him. That, my dear people, my dear friends, is heresy. Serious, serious problem. Our desire, or the desire in earth now to get some kind of a new revelation, etc., etc., is the exact same thing that Paul was combating here. It's the exact same thing that Peter and Jude were combating, where there's this (coughs) spiritual thing that happens where angels. Spiritual beings come down. Bible talks about it. The enemy, the devil, can come down as a disguised as an angel of light. Why are these things in our Bible? Because this is the techniques and the strategies that the enemy uses. But we're unaware of it. We're not familiar with it. So when it when we're faced with it, we don't even recognize it. I'll give you one last one, um, and that would be. Um, very popular, it's probably the most popular, if not one of the most popular um, div- daily devotionals that you can find. And I, you, you'll find these flying around through your churches. You'll find people posting them and saying, "Here's it's an encouraging word. You'll find it all over on social media. But I need you to, again, do a, a, a level deeper of research before we blindly take these things, because you're going to see a disturbing trend here. And what I'm talking about is this this is this, this book called Jesus Calling. I'm going to read you two passages from it. Um, there is no condemnation for those who are in me. This, I'm reading verbatim from this, from this book. The law of the Spirit has set you free from the law of sin and death. Not many Christians know how to live in this radical freedom, which is their birthright. To walk along the path of freedom you must keep your mind firmly fixed on me many voices proclaim this is the way to go but only my voice tells you the true way if you follow the way of the world with all its glitter and glamour you will descend deeper and deeper into abyss christian voices can also lead you astray do this don't do that pray this way don't pray that way if you listen to those voices you will become increasingly confused That's one passage. That's one daily devotion. Let me give you one more. Um, When you are around other people, you tend to cater to their expectations, real or imagined. You feel enslaved to pleasing them, and your awareness of my presence grows dim. Your efforts to win their approval eventually exhaust you. You offer these people dry crumbs rather than the living water of my spirit flowing through you. This is not my way for you. Emphasis is all mine. Stay in touch with me, even in your busiest moments. Let my spirit give you the words of grace as you live in the light of my peace. Now, emphasis was all mine there. No, I was not reading from Bible. I was reading from a devotional guide where the lady who wrote the devotional guide said she did some channeling. So she, she said literally... Um, it was not in the introduction of the book. You can find it online, plenty of places. Um, she sat with pen in hand and waited for God to speak to her. And then she wrote. And that is what she's writing in the book. She's basically penning an additional scripture, an addition in canon for herself. This is why I put the emphasis. Throughout the entire book, the text is something speaking to you, come to me and rest in, I'm reading from it again, uh, verbatim, my peace, my face is shining upon you. Um, you feel enslaved to pleasing them and the awareness of my presence grows dim, some, some spirit, some entity has communicated with this lady via channeling and she has written it down. That concept does not exist in the Bible. There isn't anywhere in the Bible where we are told to just sit and still ourselves and whatever words come to our mind, that's God speaking to us. Quite the opposite. We are told to study the scripture when we need to hear God's voice, but I'll go a step further. The God calling lady, um, sorry, Jesus calling lady um, said the reason she did this And wrote this book, which was so wildly popular and is spreading throughout churches like, has spread throughout churches like crazy, pay keen attention to this because the Bible wasn't nourishing her enough. She needed something extra. She needed an additional gospel. Sound familiar? She needed more than the gospel. Sound familiar? It's again the same principle that should be oh, the minute we start hearing, oh, I needed more than the gospel. I needed something above. I needed extra. I needed a, a special grain dump. If we know th- the verses that I'm showing you right now, those should be r- massive red flags thrown up in our mind. And hmm, I should probably be careful with this. So, this is why I say this mysticism and this oh my God, I'm looking for, you know, some kind of an experience or some kind of a a thing that I can feel. That's why I'm saying this is the second big thing that's crept into the church. I mentioned Bethel for the third or fourth time. I'm going to mention them again because they are dangerous in their belief system. They have entire books and teachings on, oh, this is how you can um, get this experience this is how you can get this extra power this is why when a child died they said we are praying for that child to be risen again FYI the child this was just recent the child was not risen again because it wasn't god's will and it was not lack of faith it wasn't anything like that it wasn't any person's fault we don't underst- we don't know god is sovereign god did what god needed to do period So, how do we combat this? And I'm going to give you a couple more scriptures. Um, Let me scroll up a little bit. Boom, right there. No, sorry. There we go. That's what I wanted to show you. Okay. So, how do we combat this? The first way we combat this... So, one of the things I mentioned is all of the... um, Start with the bottom one first. One of the things I mentioned is the... um, you know mysticism and we're always looking for a new you know be wary of people who come to you with i have a new brain dump or something directly from the from heavenlies or something along those lines if it's you got to just get it from your bible it's as simple as that so what that's called syncret sync <clears throat> losing the word syncretism hold on a second hold on hold on That's called syncretism, you know, mixing of tradition and, you know, other cultural things with the Bible and it's dangerous. The opposite of syncretism is what's called contextualization. And Paul was a a genius at contextualization. So let me show you an example. And that is one of the keys of what we can do and what we should be doing well to be able to get the gospel across. And this is going to hit several things on one shot. So Acts um, chapter 17, verse 16. Paul is in Athens. Context is Paul is a missionary, apostle. He's out. And he, Paul has said constantly, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. So he, did, he went to cities where there were pagans. He didn't go, to, he didn't hang around Jerusalem a lot. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul is in Athens. And while he was waiting for the Athens says, his spirit was provoked within him when he observed that the city was full of idols. So what does Paul do? He was discussing in the synagogue first with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. That's the first thing Paul did. He was vexed. He didn't bind and loose and tear down or nothing like that. Paul, who wrote to us about in Ephesians 6 about spiritual warfare, did this like this is a prescribed method we don't need paul didn't you know get angry and start calling out things in the heaven nothing this is what paul did he went to the synagogue and he taught the gospel of jesus and his resurrection in the synagogue with the christians with the jews and the god-fearing gentiles then he went in the marketplace with anyone who happened to be there and then um, others said he appears to be a proclaimer of foreign deities. Why foreign deities? Because they were not familiar with Jesus. They had their um, Dianas. They had the Acropolis. You know, the, the, they, they uh, Maybe I'm saying that name wrong, but they had the, you know, the, 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 the temples where they worshipped. you know, all of the Greek gods, you know, Zeus, et etc. And because he was proclaiming the good news about Jesus and Jesus's resurrection, so that's confirming what I said he was talking about in the synagogue and in the marketplace, um, they took hold of him and brought him to Areopagus saying, may we learn what is this new teaching being proclaimed by you? So context, Paul comes to the city, he sees these people worshiping idols, he immediately goes to the church and says, this is what we should be worshiping, like we need to worship Jesus and Jesus alone. And Jesus is the true king. Like Jesus is Yahweh's son embodied in flesh. And he died and he was resurrected. And Yahweh is king over all of all every other God. Old Testament is rife with Yahweh versus the gods. And Yahweh is the one that wins always. End of story. So... They bring Paul to Areopagus, which is, you know, this rock and it still exists today, and it's looking over onto where you see all those, you know, the columns and stuff where they had basically a temple for Athena and, you know, all of the other Greek um, deities. And they ask Paul and Paul starts preaching in this temple for Greek deities. And what does Paul do? This is contextualization. And Paul says to them, so now Paul speaks in the Areopagus and he says, men of Athens, I see you're very religious in every aspect for, as I was passing through and observing carefully, your objects of worship, I even found an altar which is inscribed to the unknown God. And this is uh, what Paul says. I want to skip forward. And indeed he is not very far away from each of us. He's talking about Yahweh for in him, we live and move. And the other translation says, and have our being. Interesting note on that scripture. In him we live and move. Yeah, it's a very popular gospel song. Paul was quoting them. If you Google that phrase, that is a Greek pagan poet that wrote that. And he was not talking about Yahweh. He was talking about the unknown God. And what does Paul say? You're close in Him we live and move and have our being, the Him is actually Yahweh. So what Paul did, instead of mixing their paganism with Christianity, with our gospel, Paul twisted it on its head and says, no, 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 no. He corrected them. He said the context is accurate, but this is who it applies to. It doesn't apply to, you, to your God. It applies to Yahweh, the God that I serve. So we need again, If you don't know scripture well, you can't do that. You wouldn't even be aware of that. But when we know scripture well, we can do that. So two other points. Uh, What are the other things we can do? Um, We need to have healthy community. So we need to be in relationship with other like-minded Christians that can keep us accountable. Matthew, um, probably have it pulled up here. Um, Well, Proverbs 18 for one says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. And that again goes to that, you know, Jesus calling thing where they're saying, just be quiet and be with me. No, Bible says, don't be, don't isolate yourself, surround yourself with other people that are like-minded. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, this is the one I was looking for, Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged, very famous. But what does the rest of that verse say? Didn't say don't it didn't stop at don't judge. It said first remove the beam of wood from your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So it doesn't say don't judge. It says, first don't be hypocritical. Then absolutely judge. And what is this speaking to? This is speaking to being in relationship with your brother. So when you see your brother has a problem, go to your brother first and say, hey. I can't see the beam in my eye. Could you help me remove the beam in my eye? Because that's the nature of a blind spot. The nature of a blind spot is you can't see it. You may think you see it, but you can't. Just like your brother can't see the speck, but you see it. He sees the beam, but you don't see it. So Jesus prescribes, remain in relationship with your brothers that can see the speck and remove it for you. And that is how we keep ourselves accountable. And then the last one, how do we um, prevent these doctrines of devils from being amongst us? It's probably obvious by now. Study, 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 study the word. Reading the word is fine. It's nothing wrong with reading, but sometimes it requires, life requires significantly more. And life requires you to do more than read. and. Timothy, New Testament again, Paul speaking to Timothy, told him, Make every effort to present yourself approved to God, a worker needing not to be ashamed, guiding the word of truth along a straight path. Other translations render that study to show yourself approved. So it is an effort it takes. Make every effort. Study. You can't just come at this with, I'm going to just read a couple of verses every now and then. No, we need to do more. Why? Because we need to guide the word of truth along that straight path, avoiding pointless chatter, for it will progress to greater ungodliness. And the message of greater ungodliness will spread like disease. For example, and Paul goes out and lists two guys, Hymenaeus and Philotheus who have deviated concerning the truth. And they are upsetting the faith of some. More false teaching stuff in the New Testament. And I'll close on this scripture. Paul's charge to Timothy. This is in 1 Timothy. Fight the good fight. Again, effort. It's it's not intuitive. We got to fight. We got to work to it. Um, Because, and having faith in good some, which some, because they have rejected faith in good conscience, have suffered shipwreck concerning their faith, among whom, the same two names, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan in order that they may be taught not to blaspheme. We have to work hard at knowing our word, being in relationship, and again, studying the word so that we can combat recognize, detect quickly when doctrines of demons are infiltrating our churches and we need to be able to see it quickly so that we can react, so that people won't get hurt. That's what this is about. It's more than just about, yeah, but it blessed me, but it felt nice. I liked the song, but it was so cool and so awesome. And I just felt tingly all over. That's selfish. If what you are feeling tingly all over is causing your brother to stumble, Bible prescribes the tingly all over is not important. Our first concern needs to be about our brother. This is why we need to focus on the text more. This has been an awesome Bible hack. I hope this has been beneficial to you. Um, as usual, like, subscribe, comment, etc. share it. Um, looking forward to doing one of these with you again soon any further questions or clarifications you want dump them in the comments section i'll be more than glad to you know engage with you one of these days we'll do a q a soon thank you this is greg this has been bible hacking